be else trying to give a summary or a description of the Bible, you might have heard somebody say, it's a love letter from God to you. That's one description I've heard before. I've also heard someone describing the Bible as a road map for life. Life's difficult and the Bible kind of helps you navigate through. I've also heard uh, a song, in fact, and, and other people kind of quoting it, but they've used the, the letters of, of the, the word Bible to kind of develop an acronym and say that it's the basic B, I, is um, instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> now, that's sort of a funny way of kind of putting it, but ultimately what they were trying to say is that it was like an instruction manual for life. That was one description that I've heard a few times. Maybe it's some, it's some rules, some guidelines for living well. Now, there might be a little bit of truth in all of those descriptions, but they really fall short of what the Bible is. The Bible is God's Word. It is about Him. It explains His big plan of redeeming broken sinners to Himself. And when we get to Luke 24 tonight, we're actually going to see just what Jesus says about all of the Scriptures. So my hope for you tonight is that this would enhance your Bible reading. My hope tonight is that when you come away from looking at Luke 24 with me tonight, that you would be excited to jump into all parts of Scripture and, and have a, a kind of groundwork, uh, some groundwork down a framework for how you look into Scripture. So let's do it. Let's hop in. Um, firstly, just to, to bring Luke 24 into context, this morning, if you were here or if, if you're familiar with what would be, normally be preached on Easter Sunday morning, it's the resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We are proclaiming that Jesus didn't stay dead. Death, death could not hold him down, but he has overcome sin and death. It's proclaiming the power of God in resurrection as well, that Jesus is who he is, he said, who he said he was. He has risen from the grave. And this is where our hope is, is in the resurrection. Because if Jesus had stayed dead, if he had died and that was the end of the story, none of this would, be, would, would mean anything. Or everybody go home now, if that's the end of the story. Because he's just another guy like Muhammad who came along and tried to give some good teaching. Another guy like Buddha who said, here's some wise teachings for life. But ultimately, Muhammad, Buddha, and every other false god is dead in the grave, not risen. Jesus Christ stands alone, risen from the grave. So here we are, Luke 24, after the resurrection, and we have these two disciples, these two followers, on the road to Emmaus, and they're having a conversation about all that's taken place. We're going to be going from verse 13. Now that same day, it's the day of the resurrection, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. They're talking about everything that's taken place. Jesus getting arrested, the trial, going to the, the cross, and then this news that, that comes later. They're, they're trying to work it out, everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. So here they are walking along, discussing all that's happened. Jesus turns up. But verse 16 says, but they were prevented from recognizing him. God at this time has withheld the knowledge that this is Jesus. God wants to do something here, 
So he's not letting them see that this is Jesus. It's not just that he changed his, his look and uh, presented himself differently. He's been held, they've been held back from recognizing this is Jesus. Verse 17. Then he asked them, Jesus asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with, with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Now, that's interesting. In, in light of Easter Sunday and what we're talking about here, hang on, these guys are walking along, they're discouraged. So obviously no, they're not thinking, hey, this, uh, this Jesus that we've been following and, and hoping and trusting in, he, he hasn't risen? Let's keep reading and see what's going on. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and elders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. All right, if you were here last week in the morning, I was preaching about how there was this crowd of people as Jesus came in to Jerusalem who were all saying, yes, he's a great prophet. This is kind of the similar answer that these two disciples are given. This is the information about this, this powerful, great prophet. Verse 21. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. That's why they're disappointed. They were hoping that it was going to be Jesus that was the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find the body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. You think, come on, guys. Surely there's something in there for you. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Whatever has happened and taken place, they're disappointed. They don't think he's the Messiah. But Jesus replies. He says to them, How foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Okay, so Jesus turns up here, listens to their woes, and then starts to give them a bit of a shake-up. This information, he's saying, has been there all along and you've missed it. We're going to see more in a minute. But what Jesus wants to tell them is that he is the promised one. He has fulfilled all that has been said. Verse 28. They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So they've invited him in. Some good old Christian hospitality. Come and have a meal with us. They um, would be very intrigued as to what this Jesus is saying as he begins to reason with them and, and show them through the scriptures all things concerning to Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 30. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. 
Now, there's a couple of interesting things to point out here. In a, in a meal in Jewish homes, the head of the house always does the breaking of the bread. And Jesus has rightly assumed his place as the head of the house, broken the bread. He is leading this dinner party and they are deferring to him. He has his rightful rule. He is the head. We should note how when the breaking of bread occurs, this is when the disciples get to recognize who Jesus is. There is a significance in this bread which is the body. At the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus fed 5,000 people from, from one loaf, one fish, said that he would offer his body. Jesus said, I will offer my body as the bread of life to the whole world. At the Last Supper, he gives bread to remember that he actually gave his body as an offering for their salvation. There is significance in the bread, the breaking of bread, that this is Jesus' body that brings about salvation for all who would believe. And they now know that this is Jesus, that he is not dead, but he is alive and that he has fulfilled the scriptures just as he said he was. What a wild event this must have been. Think about it. Walking along with a guy, having conversations, being discouraged. And then the guy starts unraveling all the scriptures in conversation to you. And you're starting to see it for the first time, perhaps, that, hang on, this is, we've, we've been missing this. And then to sit down for a meal with the same person who then breaks bread and you say, oh, it's the Messiah all along that we've been here with. This is him. We're going to keep going and we're going to unpack the seeing Jesus in all the scriptures. Verse 32, they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? I love that so much. When the, uh, see, it's the work of God's spirit to bring the scriptures to mind and to heart and to change us. If you do not have God's spirit operating in your life, you will read the Bible like any other book. It won't make sense to you. We need God's spirit like when Jesus breaks this bread and opens their eyes to see that it's him, the scriptures are alive to them and they can, they can understand what has happened. Verse 33, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief, because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. He wants to convince them even more. They've seen the holes in his hands and his feet, but now he's going to eat something in front of them that they can see that this is a physical, real body. Jesus didn't come back just to be a spiritual presence He's not ghost-like. He is real body, flesh and blood standing before them. 
still with holes in his hands and feet, and now he's eating in front of them. Verse 44, he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, so that's all the first books of the Bible, the prophets, Old Testament, and the Psalms, Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. There we have it again. In a similar sense that we had it before, where he's allowing them to see, Jesus has actually opened their minds. Now, if you look up the Greek word for minds here, I love this because it says what he actually did was he opened their intellectual faculties. Their intellectual faculties. He has opened up the mind that they would understand and know who he is. Verse 46, he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And here we have Luke's version of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And it says, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Jesus said, everything about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Again, we are returning to this teaching from Jesus regarding himself and not just the New Testament. We're talking about all of the Old Testament here. And Jesus is saying to his followers, all of the scriptures, not just the New Testament, but all of the scriptures point to me, are about me. You might say, hang on a minute. Well, I know about a couple of Old Testament things that mention Jesus. I know there's a psalm somewhere that seems to have some stuff that comes out when Jesus is on the cross and makes mention of things. You might say there's that famous chapter in Isaiah where, where we read it at Christmas time. For to us, a, a child is born. I know about those ones. But really, all of Scripture? Yes, all of Scripture. I'm talking the Red Sea and Moses. King David fighting Goliath, Jonah and a big fish, the lovely story of the widow Ruth who meets a kind man named Boaz, all of those Old Testament stories, the ones that kids do at Kids Own, all of them are about Jesus. The point of all of those stories is to be about Jesus and to point to him. And this is what Jesus is confirming in Luke 24. It's all there from the beginning. All of the scriptures specifically saying that the Bible is about Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. So if I have my Bible and I think, what, what is it? It's not a love letter from God to me because it's not about me. It's actually about God. Specifically, it's about Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. Proclaimed right from the beginning of the scriptures. Imagine what this conversation might have sounded like as Jesus reveals himself in the Old Testament. Those moments where you will just be like, oh, come on, I've read that a hundred (laughs) times. That was about you? Oh, I read that, yes, yes. And all these lights coming on, these, oh, I get it now, I get it, I get it. This has always been about you. It starts with Moses. That's what he says here, doesn't he? He says, "Uh, everything about me, the law of Moses, now, 
Moses, we're talking Genesis here. The first books of the Bible means starting with Genesis. Jesus is the eternal creator in Genesis 1 who has created all things. Everything that we know that exists, that's Jesus. He is the creator confirmed in the book of Colossians. All things are created through him, for him. Jesus is, in Genesis 3.15, when it says that Jesus, that the son of the woman will crush the serpent's head. This is what Jesus did at the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he crushes the serpent's head. In Exodus, the people of God are delivered from death through the offering of a Passover lamb. That's Exodus 12, 13. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus. In Leviticus, all right, that brutal book of blood and animal chopping, (laughs) is Jesus. The whole book, the book of Leviticus. It's about the atonement being made that can only come through sacrificial blood. That's Jesus' blood. The blood that we talk about is the The blood in the book of Leviticus represents the blood that will be shed for you. For all the sins that you and I have committed, Leviticus speaks to the blood of Jesus that has been shed for you and for me. If we turn to Deuteronomy, we discovered the cursed covenant, uh, law-breaking sinners, that they would find grace at the blood-sprinkled altar of God. Again, Jesus' blood for our sins. This is just a few things that Moses has written about. It says that Jesus told the disciples about himself from the prophets. That was the other bit, right? The law of Moses and the prophets, the book of Isaiah, all of the prophets are speaking about the one who will come. And in particular, they speak of his death and his resurrection, specifically that this is the reason that Jesus will come for the atonement of sins. And every Bible character... I don't know if you grew up in church and you've heard all the Bible stories, but every single Bible hero that you've read about, that you've seen cute pictures of, that we colour in when we're kids or we give to kids, every single Bible hero is a type of Jesus to come. They're a representative of the one who will come for all of humanity, for the forgiveness of sins. For example, King David... A lot of people like to take an approach where if they were talking about King David, they might try and preach this in regards to saying that Goliath, when, when King David fights Goliath and kills him, um, that maybe they will try and break that down to say, hey, for you, maybe you've got some giants in your life and you can be like King David. There's maybe a little tiny, tiny bit of truth to that. That's not the way to preach about King David and Goliath. King David is a representative of Jesus. Jesus comes through the bloodline of King David. And when David takes down Goliath, that is symbolic of Jesus taking down sin. We aren't David in the picture. We are the Israelite who was scared and needing a saviour. And King David is the saviour that comes for the Israelites in the same way that Jesus is the saviour for lost sinners. Following? So it's called typology. It means a type to come. That all these Bible heroes are a foreshadowing 
They're not perfect. They've sinned. They fall short of being the perfect example. But they all reflect this one who will continue to, who will be coming in the future to set us free. One more thing on David, because I just because I think this is cool. Jesus is the head crusher who will crush the head of the serpent, which he does at the cross. Goliath, who comes, where does David attack him? With a stone to the head. Furthermore, he draws his sword and beheads Goliath. David is the head crusher in this situation. And historically, uh, if you will look into the Philistines and the armour that Goliath would have worn, they say that it would have resembled a serpent. The type of armour that they would have worn and the type of designs that they had, the Philistines had, was that of a serpent. Again, symbolic of the Jesus who will come to crush the head of the serpent. How cool is that? Is that cool? Now, we're only getting started here. We don't have another six hours. But you have a lifetime of being able to pick up your Bible and find Jesus in all the scriptures. So I just want to give you a little taste tonight. That's all I wanted to do. That everywhere you look in the Bible, it's Jesus. Everywhere you go to, it's to find this Jesus who is the creator God who gave his life for broken sinners that we could be part of his family. We'll move on. I think we're only trained to probably listen for about 25, 30 minutes tops. I've got, I got three things I want to take home from this. All right. Let's just summarize. We've got the story, the disciples walking along Jesus. They meet him on the road. He unpacks the scriptures for them. He shows them, this is me all along. He opens their eyes through the breaking of bread. Right? So we recognize God's power in saving us, God's power in opening our eyes to understand the scriptures. Three things for us. One, when you sit with your Bible this week, next week, I want to encourage you to look through a lens which says this is all about Jesus. So if you've been scared of the Old Testament because there's some pretty hectic and pretty full-on stories going in there or you just have trouble getting your head around the, the journey of Israel as God's people, if you look with a lens that says you will find Jesus in this as you study, you will have a far better time. You will see the scriptures for why they exist to, to present Jesus to us. So you can pick up the book of Ruth and hear about this redeemer kinsman that shows this kindness to, um, to Ruth and, and to Naomi. And you will learn that he is a type of Jesus, the redeemer. It's all there for us. So that's a lens that I want to encourage you to have as you go to the scriptures. Jesus is the main thing. This is why we harp on about Jesus all the time. Uh, we've got a song, that, my wife and I have got a song that we like, and it says, keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> Jesus is the main thing. When we go to the Scriptures, so this is what can happen too. People can go to the Scriptures and try and find themselves in it. They go to the Scriptures, where am I in the Bible? I need to, maybe I'll just drop it and hope it lands on something about me. <laughs> we've all done that, I'm sure, at some point, maybe. Okay, just me. When we find Jesus in the Scriptures, we're going to have a far better time we're going to have a far better time when we work out that we exist because of Jesus, for Jesus. Um, okay, so if you've never read the Old Testament, I want to just encourage you to go for it. Finding Jesus in all of it. Asking the question as you go, what does this teach me about who Jesus is? And really, I just want to, 
I just really want to encourage you. There is such a wonderful journey ahead for you in Scripture. The, the things that we entertain ourselves with have got nothing on Scripture. When I get a Netflix account, I just scroll through it. I spend most of my time just looking for a movie. I'm actually watching one. I just look through the movies. It's actually, none of it is actually that good. The kids and I were talking about all the Marvel movies and stuff recently and just, you know, like we love the Marvel movies, right? They're, they're a bit of fun. But the reality is it's just another one that's coming and another one that's coming and then Disney's jumping in on that and they'll probably blend Star Wars and Star Trek and, and all the other things. Look, it's not really that good. <laughs> the end of the day, it's a bit of entertainment. It's not that great. Don't put your life into entertainment. Put your life into the scriptures. There is gems, truth for your life and it is so beautiful. Number two. Your Bible sharing now has a focus if you look with this lens. Your Bible sharing. So the way in which, the way in which you help somebody else understand scriptures now has a focus of going, this is about Jesus. How do I help you get to Jesus through this? So if you've been around youth groups, kids, kids talks, you will notice that you're always encouraged to make a link to Jesus. That's the way Bible talks go. We've got a lot of youth leaders here. Um, some kids zone leaders and if you've ever watched if you've ever been to kids zone and you watch the gospel project am i saying that right is it gospel project um they'll do an old testament story and then at the end of it there's this bit where it sort of fades to black and white and it says um just like david jesus is our redeemer and it, like they always make that link because all of it is about jesus for the same reason we've just talked about so when you're trying to get the information about the Bible, about God, about whatever it is, you're with a non-believer, you're with a friend, you're with a family member, the main thing is Jesus. That's who you're trying to get to. You're trying to get these conversations over to Jesus. If you've got a testimony, that's wonderful. If you know how to share, how did I become a Christian, that's, that's good. But make sure it has the truth about Jesus in it. Because otherwise it just comes off as a bit of a story that says, hey, you found something good for your life. You found something, and, and, and a friend will just say, I'm really, I'm really pleased that, you know, ben, got, found, ben found something in his life that, that helped him along in his journey. No, no, he points to Jesus. We point to Jesus in this. Yes, this is my life. It changed, but it's because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And that confronts a person where they're at and their reality. It brings the gospel to them that they are then confronted, confronted with their own situation of where do I stand before God? Number three. I hope that Luke 24 would enhance and increase your trust in the Bible. Ultimately, your trust in Jesus. There is something very tangible for our, for our soul here in this chapter. If there is something that Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus teaches us, it is that Jesus is totally in control. Is that right? Is that what we see in this story? He is totally in control. He walks up to these guys holding back his identity. He's in control. I'm not going to let you know it's me just yet. He's in control. He hears their doubts. He hears their frustrations and their arguing. He addresses their concerns. He un ravels the scriptures for them, he breaks bread, and when it's his time, when he says it's okay to do it, now you can see me. In the same way, when he talked to the, 
disciples and he wrestled through their unbelief. Here's the holes. Here I'm eating something. I'm real. I'm here. Still, he then opened their minds. It wasn't that he, he had to work really, really hard, did he? He didn't have to put in a lot of um, apologetic training and try and convince them. It was when he chose to open their minds. He was in control. He was in control when he created you. No accidents. No mistakes. He knitted you in your mother's womb. Totally in control of your existence. He was in control also, though, when you first sinned and rebelled against him and decided to not follow him as God, but to think that you had it all together. Jesus was still in control. He was still there as we rebelled and walked, thought we could do it in our own strength. And he was in control when he called you to be one of his own. When he said, Ron, you're coming with me. Carol, you're one of mine. He was always in control. He said that he would die and rise three days later. He did it. He said that he will sanctify you, which means that he will make you more like himself. He will do that. He's doing it. He's in control of all of the events that have taken place and all that will take place. The, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation isn't a piecing together of stories. Oh, and this happened, we'll add that on. It shows us that Jesus was there from the beginning, that this is all him. He is in control of it. He is always in control. There is no one and no thing in the universe that can give you the assurance that Jesus does. There is nothing you can put your trust in that will give you the assurance that Jesus gives you. No uni degree, no fancy job and a job promotion, no bank balance that we try and build can give you the assurance that Jesus gives. So I just want to ask you tonight, how is your soul? How are you going? Are you still thinking that you're in control? You're not. You never will be. I pray tonight and I hope tonight that you would put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the king of the universe. And in your very hand and on your phone, you have his words that tell you about him from the beginning to the end. You have all that you need to know him, to love him, and to, to live a life following him, following after him. Let's pray. Lord, this chapter overwhelms me. I don't even understand it all, Lord, when I think about how you opened minds, how we wrestle through so much doubt and confusion at times, how we can move into our own frustrations and then think that we've got to jump in and take control again. Lord, clearly you are in control of all that's happening. You are in control of our lives, Lord, and so 
I just pray tonight, Lord, if there's anybody here who's struggling through this, pray if there's anybody that's feeling like they just can, they keep coming to the end of themselves, turning up short. Well, that's a wonderful place to be at. It doesn't feel wonderful. That is a wonderful place to be because in that time we can recognise we need help outside of ourselves, And that help comes to us through the person of Jesus. I thank you for the scriptures that proclaim to us that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, help us to turn our hearts to you. For those here who, who may feel distant from you right now, Lord, I pray even tonight that their hearts might be turned back to you. That like those disciples who said the scriptures burned within us, Lord, may your scriptures burn within us. May you increase our desire for your word to know you and to love you more, Lord, and to understand that you are the sovereign God. Pray these things tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.